medical device maker Johnson and Johnson has issued a warning to about 114,000 doctors and diabetic patients that three recently discovered cyber vulnerabilities in its Animus One-Touch Ping insulin pump could be potentially exploited by hackers. Although Johnson & Johnson says the probability of unauthorized access to the wireless pumps is extremely low, there is potential risk of attackers remotely overdosing diabetic patients with insulin. I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with cybersecurity researcher Jay Radcliffe of security firm Rapid7. Jay, who is also a diabetic, is the researcher who discovered the vulnerabilities in the device and reported them to Johnson & Johnson in April. So now, Jay, for starters, please briefly describe the vulnerabilities that you found in these insulin pumps, and why are those flaws potentially dangerous to patients? Really, a lot of what the research that I conducted was around the remote and the, there's a remote control unit for the insulin pump, so that way the user has convenience of being able to give themselves insulin and commanding the insulin pump without having to touch the insulin pump itself. That communication path between the remote control unit and the insulin pump itself isn't encrypted, meaning that it's not very well protected. And other you can write your own piece of equipment or you can design your own system that can talk to the insulin pump and give it commands. So we built a proof of concept that showed that just by listening to the commands between the remote and the insulin pump, you could replay those commands and have them done again and again and again. So if a user decided to give themselves five units of insulin uh, with their remote control unit, then we could capture that those transmissions and then replay them or recreate them, and that would give the patient five units again and five units again and five units again. And that's a very dangerous situation for it to have too much insulin in their system. So, Jay, with that said, is it possible that in a situation like this, you may not even need a hacker? Could this, this overdose of insulin be delivered accidentally if a patient keeps pushing on something, not realizing that it's working? Or what other risks are there with this? Well, diabetics that are on insulin pumps are very in tune to how much insulin they're giving themselves at a time. There's always wiggle room and miscalculation there, and that's that's a risk that all diabetics have to face with. But this is particularly unique in that there's communication between these two devices and a different person or a different entity could do it, perhaps maliciously, and that's something that we would like to put protection on. Just like you want to have protection around your credit card number when you make purchases because it's important to you, it's important to your finances, we want to have that same level of protection put on communications with our medical devices, keeping those communications safe and in control of the patient. So now, Jay, this isn't the first time that you've discovered cyber flaws in Animus Ping brand insulin pumps. Are these new vulnerabilities that you've discovered recently similar to the flaws you previously reported in 2013, and have those previous flaws been corrected? Uh, the research that I, I published in 2013 centered more around a bug and less around a vulnerability like this. The 2013 research was regarding the insulin pump 
losing track of how much medicine was in a person's body when you change the battery. To my knowledge, there hasn't been any update on that situation from Animus. So does that mean that those problems are still in those insulin pumps? I think that I would probably say that Animus and Johnson & Johnson has gone out of their way to try and make users more aware of it. Um, you know, they, they put it in their training material, they put it in their manuals to make sure that patients understand that when you change the battery, it loses track of how much medicine is in the patient. Whereas before, I think that it was a little bit lesser known and not as much emphasized in the training. So now, Jay, Johnson & Johnson says of these new vulnerabilities that the risk of potential hackers exploiting these vulnerabilities is, quote, extremely low, end quote. Do you agree with that assessment and why? So whenever we talk about risk, I like to try and give an analogy because it's really kind of applicable here. And every day we take risks. We take a risk when we get in our car and we drive to work. We take a risk when we go outside when it's raining outside. And we know that there's a risk that we could get hit by lightning or that we can get into a car accident, but we take those risks because those risks are very low, even though they have a high impact and that we're aware of them. We do everything we can to avoid them. I see this as very much a similar situation. I think that the actual risk of a hacker breaking into an insulin pump and giving a patient extra insulin or a malicious dose of insulin is exceptionally low, just like Johnson & Johnson says. But I also think that it's a significant impact. It is a very dangerous situation that all patients on this device should be aware of so they can make the best risk decision for them and for their child maybe or for their grandparent or whoever it is they're taking care of. So different people have different risk tolerance levels, and that's essentially the information that we want to give to patients so they can make the best decision possible. So now, Jay, what steps should doctors and patients take to mitigate these flaws that you found in these wireless insulin pumps? Well, we've worked really closely with Johnson & Johnson in the statement that we've made. Both of us feel that there are three things that can be done to mitigate this risk. For people who feel that they are very high risk and people who are very scared of this type of thing, you can go into the insulin pump and turn off the wireless capability of it and turn off the remote control feature. And both Johnson & Johnson and myself at Rapid7 have tested this and have verified that that solves the issue 100%. So that completely eliminates the risk. But you will lose the ability to use the remote control feature of the of the system. There are also two additional minimizations that you can do that can make it more difficult for harm to come. The first is through limiting the amount of insulin that can be done at one time. It's called the maximum insulin dosage. And if you lower that, especially for children, you might take that from the default and like cut it by a third it would make it much harder to make a mistake or to have inadvertently give too much insulin to a patient. And the the last thing that can be done is to turn on the vibrate feature. So anytime the insulin pump is dispensing insulin, it will vibrate. And this would notify the patient or whoever's attached to the insulin pump that it's giving medicine out. So if you didn't command it to give medicine out and it vibrates, then you would check it and then you would have the ability to cancel that dosage before it was all the way distributed into your system. When it comes to medical device cybersecurity flaws that are discovered by independent researchers like yourself, many manufacturers in the past have been slow to react. 
For instance, in at least one previous case, the FDA was the party to issue an alert to hospitals to stop using a certain company's infusion pumps due to cyber risks. And then in another recent case, a cyber security research startup firm and a short-selling investment firm publicly issued a report about alleged cyber flaws found in cardiac devices. Now, in that last situation, neither the FDA nor the medical device maker St. Jude was given a heads-up by the researchers or the investment firm, for that matter, about the findings before it was publicly disclosed. What do you make of this sort of hodgepodge approach that we often see in terms of the disclosure and mitigation strategies when cyber flaws are identified in medical devices by independent researchers? Well, I can tell you that Rapid7 has a deep commitment to doing ethical research and to working very closely with manufacturers, whether it be software, hardware devices, medical devices, anything that we do our research on. Disclosing that to them and making sure that they have the proper notification and the ability to work through those issues. And sometimes that takes longer than others. Johnson & Johnson, in this case, has been great to work with. And it is not easy to address these issues on a product that has been on the market for a long time, where there isn't the capability to just distribute a patch like you would in a Windows product. So these challenges face every manufacturer in the industry. And it's critical that we kind of look at research and look at the cooperation of that and try and advance that forward. This is especially true for medical devices. Speaking as a diabetic, I think that patient safety has to come first. I think that people that are on these devices and depend on these devices to keep themselves or loved ones alive is the critical factor. So Rapid7 and Johnson & Johnson have gone out of their way to make sure that people understand what that risk is, that that risk is relatively low, so they can make the proper decision for their own patient care and for their own treatment, and not to over-sensationalize the issue, but to make sure that we address it realistically and cooperatively uh, between the research community, the research company, and the, the manufacturer. Jay, it sounds like you had a fairly positive experience in working with Johnson & Johnson when you made these discoveries of these vulnerabilities. Any advice that you have to other medical device makers when, you know, they run into these situations where independent researchers come to them with these findings? Do you think that many medical device makers need to be more proactive and cooperatively working with these researchers once these problems are identified? Yeah. At Rapid7, we help companies with this issue quite often. And what we tell companies is to not wait. You need to be proactive and ready for a vulnerability to come in the front door at any point in time. The worst time to develop an incident response program or a a product security platform is after you've been notified that your product is vulnerable. So we've helped companies significantly in the last five years, and I think Johnson & Johnson kind of exemplifies this in how far we've come in five years since, you know, the research that I did in 2011, where manufacturers really didn't know how to handle this situation. They weren't aware of who to notify or how to notify them or what was best for patient or what they could trust and not trust. And the fact that we were able to do this with Johnson & Johnson in close cooperation with them just shows that we've come a long way and that we've made patient safety a lot, a much bigger priority and a much making these medical devices a lot safer. 
And Jay, one last question. Did Rapid7 do this work on its own or were you hired by Johnson & Johnson to look for possible problems in their products? Nope. This research is completely independent. Actually, the, the insulin pump that I, I did our research on was my own insulin pump. And we haven't been paid by Johnson & Johnson to do any of the work or anything that you see related to the, the insulin pump research at all. So we do this with every vulnerability that we come across through our research. We work with vendors to make sure that they understand it. They understand the impact of the vulnerability. They understand the technical details of the vulnerability. Rapid7 doesn't believe that we should go to vendors and say, well, we'll only tell you the, the technical details of this if you hire us to or if you pay us to. We don't think that that's a very ethical position to take. So this process and the process of hundreds of other vulnerabilities we disclose, whether it be in mobile applications or Internet of Things devices or any of the research that we do, uh, is done very cooperatively and very ethically so that way manufacturers have a chance to learn from it and do what's best for, for their customers and their products. Thanks, Jay. I've been speaking to Jay Ratcliffe. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.